And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Hello and welcome to the Great Movies Podcast, a retrospective film review show where we watch and discuss the movies covered in Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection, The Great Movies. Usually, I am Dylan Coyar. You're still... You still are. Uh, I'm Nick Fulton. And today we are joined with a guest. Um, we got a... Uh, we got Sean uh, Gilman. Is, is it Gilman or Gilman? Gilman. Gilman. Okay. We had a guest on named um, Stephen Gillespie on, and I called him yeah. Stephen Gillespie. And so now that G-I starting of a, a, a last name is getting me a little nervous. You got to know your hard G's from your soft G's. Yeah. So um, I'm glad you're a hard G. That's what I would first go to. <laughs> but... Um, we're not here discussing the movies covered in Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection. Uh, today we're here to mainly discuss three movies, but sort of a director in general. We're doing this sort of a spotlight episode. Uh, today we'll be talking about, okay, it's Zhajanka. Sure. Sean, <laughs> Sean, you're the you're the expert in Chinese cinema. Like we're, you're you're definitely the one here that's going to be helping us. Yeah, through some I, of this. I am not an expert in Chinese pronunciation. Pronunciation. I just do my best. Okay, that's fair. Uh, my general rule is to uh, say it with confidence and quickly, and most people will give you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, so I say I say uh, I say Jajenka. Okay, I've heard. I, I listened to uh, one of the interviews with him with uh, Tony Raines on um, the which which Blu-ray was it the Touch of Sin Blu-ray, and he pronounces it as Ja Janka, but I don't know how much of that is also like his British accent. Yeah, I don't know. Tony Tony Raines actually is an expert. So. Yeah, yeah. He, I, <laughs> I would go with what he says. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so he has been a prolific. It's the sixth generation Chinese filmmaker. Is that correct? I believe yes. it's six. Um, and uh, he is sort of born out of an age of very independent, almost neorealist style filmmaking. And uh, he, for one, there's a few things that we wanted to cover this for. Uh, one, he's most of his movies are leaving the Criteria Channel this month, so we kind of want to shout him out and try to get the word out before. I mean, hopefully I'll edit this in time. Yeah, you have the time. You'll have three days. Yeah, sometimes I have a week or two turnaround, but I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen with this one. Um, also, we're in a period where um, China was kind of at the forefront of culture right now with the Olympics going on. And um, it just seems like a good time to talk about it. We mentioned him on the podcast recently when we were talking about, we had a Love and Tura episode. Which that is still needing to get turned around, but we've had a few episodes <laughs> in between. Um, but that he was uh, largely influenced by Antonioni, and you can see that. So I think this will pair well with that episode as well. Um, the three uh, movies we're going to be discussing with him are 2000's Platform, uh, 2006's Still Life, and 2013's A Touch of Sin. Sort of a, you could pretty much break that down as sort of a, uh, early career, mid career, later career. He has. It's not super late in his career currently. Touch of sin. Yeah, but he's only he's only fifty one. Hopefully, he's I, got a couple more decades <laughs> worth of. Yes, profession. but I, I do think that seems like a 
turning point in sort of his uh, style, especially leading into Ashes Purest White. Um, so we're going to start with Platform. And uh, Sean, you can lead the discussion on Platform. What, what would you like to start with uh, that film? I know this is like your favorite of his. Uh, where to start? Uh, first of all, I, I got a, a question for you guys. Like, ha- Had you seen any of Jaws movies before? Or is this your first time... With them. I had it until Still Life a couple weeks ago, and then did Touch of Sin and Platform. Um, I wanted to watch Ash of Pyrrhus Night Tonight, um, just because I know that's your other favorite, and uh, to bring some of that to the podcast, but nope, those are just my three for so far. I think Nick's seen a few more, though. Yeah, I'd seen a few. I'd seen his three most recent, so I'd seen um, A Touch of Sin, Mountains Made Apart, and Ashes Pierce White, and then I'd also seen um, Swimming Out Till the Sea Turns Blue before, and then this month, just uh, with the crunch of all the stuff leaving, I watched um, Platform Still Life uh, for this, and then I I watched The World last night. Okay, so I've still got the I world think, looks really fun. Well, I mean, as as fun as oh yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a real hit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Platform is is the earliest of his movies that you've seen. Yes, yes, yeah. he has okay. one full length movie before this. Correct, it's Pickpocket. Uh, yeah, Xiao, Xiao was his uh, feature debut. Uh, he made mm-hmm. an hour-long film before that called uh, Zhao Shan Going Home that he made while he was still in film school with uh, a lot of his classmates who also worked on, on Xiao Wu. Uh, hmm. But Platform was uh, kind of his first real film. Sure. Uh, uh, Wu was, was something he had uh, a short in mind, and he went home to his hometown for like a uh, uh, vacation uh, New Year's to see his family and everything. And he saw that everything was changing in his hometown and he didn't like it. Like all of the, the old stores were being shuttered and replaced by like karaoke bars and uh, the streets were all being all torn up and the, the, the ancient walls in the city were being torn down. And, and he was like, I, I need to film this place now before it's all gone. So in like three mm-hmm. weeks he wrote and, and made Shao just, Mm-hmm. on the spur of the moment. Uh, and then he submitted it to film festivals and started to get some uh, some recognition. I think it played in uh, a special forum in Berlin. Uh, and then because of that, he was able to secure the money to do Platform, which was the first time he had like an actual budget with an actual crew of professional technicians that didn't go to school with him or that weren't his friends. Sure. Uh, so it came out in 2000 and it also had success internationally. And like all of his early films, it was shot uh, independently, meaning it was outside the state uh, film bureau system, which meant that mm-hmm. technically it was illegal for him to be making the film. And the movie was banned for a long time. And I think after Shawu, he was banned from making cinema. He it was hmm. just like not allowed to do it, but he did it anyway. And a lot of people—he he was obviously doing it. Was, was there any repercussions from the governmental side on that besides just censorship? Uh, not really. Uh, he was fined for Shawu. He he was fined uh, originally. They gave him like a fifty thousand yuan fine, and he talked him down to like twenty thousand, which was still <laughs> like a ton of money for him because he was just this poor college student. But sure. Uh, this this is kind of the situation that his generation, the the sixth generation of Chinese filmmakers, were in. Because unlike the 
the ones before them, the fifth generation guys like Zhang Yimou and Chen Kaiga, who were making like big ornate uh, costume dramas like uh, Red Sorghum or Farewell My Concubine or Raise the Red Lantern that were doing well internationally. These guys were making uh, really cheap, independent, like handheld, really early digital video films on the streets of China in the various dialects that are incomprehensible to people outside of the towns where they're shooting the film. Uh, I didn't know about that. So, yeah, it was, it's very much a, 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 an independent response to a more tradition of quality kind of film that the previous generation was putting out. And mm -hmm. as such, it was not uh, recognized. Later, they became legitimized. But the films wouldn't sure. wouldn't be allowed to be shown in theaters. They would be passed around on like bootleg DVDs. There's a there's a there's a joke early in uh, the film After Platform, uh, Unknown Pleasures, where the actor who plays the lead in in Platform and Xiaowu as uh, Wang Hongwei, he he asks somebody on the street if they have any bootleg copies of Xiaowu or Platform or uh, <laughs> uh, some called Love Will Tear Us Apart that was directed by the cinematographer for platform uh you look why oh, nice. uh and he doesn't have any copies of it but anyway that's Bummer. that's all beside the point platform is about a uh a theatrical troupe over the course of the 1980s it starts in the late 70s just after the cultural revolution has ended and it follows uh four main characters who are part of this uh kind of cultural troupe that go around and do like traditional songs and dances uh it follows them as the they and the group grow up and evolve throughout the 1980s as China moves away from the Cultural Revolution, becomes increasingly capitalist up until 1989. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, there's uh, Wang Hongwei is the main character. He's the little guy with the glasses. Uh, and he has he, such a distinct look. And um, he pops up in the middle of still life mm -hmm. for a little bit. And it's, it's just so obvious when he's there. It's like, oh, hey, there's the troop leader. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he was not a trained actor at all. He, he and, and uh, John met at the Beijing Film Academy, which was the big film school in China. John uh, was not there to study directing. He was actually there as like a film theory student. And I think hmm. Wang, Wang was as well. He said uh, when he convinced him to star in uh, Zhao Going Home, uh, he was like working on his thesis on Tarkovsky or something. Uh, so, it's a good thing to do your thesis on. Yeah, ni neither one of them were particularly trained. Uh, I read an interview with him. He tells a story about how they took an acting class just to kind of learn how it worked, and the professor hated them and said they were like the worst actors, and he like had them play dead, and they did it completely wrong. <laughs> they couldn't even play dead convincingly. So I, I don't know that. I mean, Josh shows up in um, A Touch of Sin, and I don't really think that he's uh, giving the strongest performance in the movie. Um, no, he's, he's he's not a, a great actor. Uh, he's in. He's in, he's in I think Wang, Wang Hong Wei is a he, he gives great performances in in that movie too. He's like he's got a really for for a guy who's like sort of not intimidating looking and smaller. Uh, he's pretty scary in the scene that he uh, assaults Zhao Tao in. Yeah, it's, and it's terrifying. And she, she's not a, a trained actor either. Like, and that's uh, one of Jaws' things is he doesn't use, uh, very rarely does he use like actual trained actors. He uses non-professionals <laughs> and gets really, uh, really interesting performances out of them. Mm -hmm. Zhao Tao is the, the female lead of Platform. 
Uh, she has an on again, off again romance with uh, with Wang Hongwei that goes over the ten years. Uh, she's uh, she and Jia have been married for the last ten years. Uh, they met mm -hmm. during pre production for Platform. He and uh, some and like his producer went to. She was uh, teaching a dance class, and they went to her dance class to kind of audition dancers for like bit parts and Platform. And they just they hired her instead, who was teaching the class. <laughs> and she's been in every it's a good one of pick. His, she's yeah, she's been in every one of his movies since, and she's amazing. Nick, what, a, what list was it that had her as like one of the top actors of the twenty first century? Uh, yeah, she was number eight on the. Uh, I think it was twenty twenty. Maybe the New York Times did a twenty five yeah. best actors of the twenty first century so far, and she was number eight, which is. Really impressive for a few. I mean, that list was pretty diverse. I think more diverse than I uh, would have guessed. Um, but especially considering she's only been in his movies, basically. I yeah, just about. Been in she's had a one, couple tiny parts. By somebody else, but yeah. Uh, yeah, she's she's credited as having a small role in a, an elephant sitting still, but I don't remember her in that at all. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't either. Actually, talking a little bit more about just the wider Chinese cinema before we get more into platform. Uh, Sean, you, I mean, I guess you're not going to call yourself an expert, even though, you know, to me you are, but like you take very high interest in Asian cinema and especially Chinese cinema. I'm curious, like what your background is on that and especially what led you to Xia from that as well. Uh, I just kind of fell into it. Uh, Fair enough. When I, I, I went to, uh, I got a film studies degree in college and studied all of the, you know, the normal stuff. Uh, then I quit watching movies for like five years after I graduated. And then when mm -hmm. I got back into it, uh, I like started a blog and I was writing about like classic Hollywood and, you know, like traditional art cinema, like the Janus films catalog, you know, French films, uh, Italian, Japanese, you know, all, all of the, the big ones filling in all of the blind spots. And here and there, I would just kind of pick up on, like, uh, people would talk about Ho Shao Xian, so I'd find a Ho Shao Xian film. Or I started watching uh, uh, kind of Shaw Brothers movies when they were coming out on DVDs. And eventually it just kind of snowballed and became more and more interested in Chinese cinema. And go ahead. Oh, I was just trying to point to the, the new Shaw Brothers uh collection i have sitting at the edge of my shelf oh. that you can see i haven't cracked oh. into it yet. i haven't cracked into it yet but i'm yeah it's a good set uh, yeah i'm looking forward to it uh go ahead <laughs> uh and what i found when i was when i would like read about about chinese films about like genre films like hong kong stuff and also like the art film stuff is that there were there was kind of two separate worlds there's like the hong kong genre cinema fans and then there's like the international art house cinema fans mm -hmm. and they write about those two films in totally different ways and they don't tend to mix like you're you the fans of like wong jing uh and stephen chow like slapstick comedies don't tend to be also writing about ho shao shen and edward yang and and ja jang ko movies so what i kind of wanted to do was what uh what like people like andrew saris did with hollywood cinema and like the French New Wave guys and start talking about the genre films in the same way that you would talk about the art films and vice versa. So somewhat, you seem to have done a pretty good job with it. You, your current blog is called the Chinese cinema.com, right? Yes. Yeah. Newly um, revamped. 
Newly revamped, yes, and and completely ripped off from Andrew Saris. So I, just, I took all the all the Chinese directors I could think of from Hong Kong, Taiwan, China, and put them in the Andrew Saris categories. And it, it, I mean, which of us that talk about movies don't owe Andrew Saris some amount of like influencer credit? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I I am firmly in the in the pro Andrew Saris anti Colin <laughs> Kale camp. The war that was over like. 30 years ago. Uh, <laughs> Whether you're pro or anti, I feel like everyone in some way has like a relationship to like him, Ebert, Pauline Kale. Like there's oh, sure. just these like heads of film writing that are, will stick with us pro or con, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I fine. think it, it makes sense to lump the genre cinema, like the so-called genre cinema in with the rest of it. Cause it's not like they're um, strict lines. I mean, Ho right. Shen did the assassin and like, heck yeah. Yeah, I think I think a touch of sin. A touch of sin is a obvious ripoff title-wise on uh, a touch of Zen. So there's like these guys have seen the people <laughs> doing the straight movies have seen uh, the genre stuff too. Yeah, I think I think it's more uh, I think it's more split in America than it is in in sure. Hong Kong or or China. Mm-hmm. Like you have the Hong Kong Film Awards, and they'll routinely give acting awards to kung fu film stars, like. Sam Wong has won tons of Hong Kong film awards, and so is Anne Wei. You know, they and the directors make genre films all the time. Like uh, Anne Wei made a, a a big two-part epic wuxia film in the mid '80s at the same time that she's making like Boat People. Mm-hmm. Uh, Choi Hark has moved back and forth all the time. Like you said, the the Assassin by Ho Shashan. I think I think Jaw is actually a really uh, a great example of this because. Uh, a lot of his films, all of his films, are really ob- obsessed with with pop culture, uh, not just in yeah, music, true. but also in movies. Like uh, we talk about still life, there's a clip from A Better Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that's one of my favorite parts. Yeah, in uh, in A Touch of Sin, that you see uh, Green uh, Snake, Hart's Green Snake during mm-hmm. uh, an episode that's uh, inspired by the Legend of the White Snake, and and uh, Ashes Pierce White is just is. It's, it's completely structured around the way that the characters see themselves as heroes of like Chow Young Fat movies from the 80s. Uh, so I, 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 Ja doesn't seem to draw any distinction between art cinema and genre cinema. It's like it's all cinema for him. And so I, I think to, to really kind of understand him, you have to see both sides of that. I also love how much he likes to use pop music throughout some of like the most depressing scenes in movies that I've ever seen. Um, I was uh, trying to um, find a scene where I can't remember the song, but there's a, there's a scene in platform where um, Zhao Tao um, um, dances in this like empty room to this like pop song. Yeah. And uh, she, she I was like trying to find on Criterion, but for some reason Criterion wasn't working. And I like searched it on um, Google hoping like, God, someone please have this scene clipped out so i can just watch this right now i needed my blood and you had it you had it on your blog like you just had a blog of like pop songs and Zhangka movies and i was just like hey there it is <laughs> i gotta watch it there yeah i uh i got a uh a theater in vancouver did a retrospective on jaw a few years ago and they like invited me to like give a little lecture and introduce the series and as i was re-watching the movies for that, I became obsessed with the the songs. So I went through like all of his fiction mm-hmm. movies and tracked down all of the the songs. 
all of the music and read about them and like and like clipped them off of YouTube and uh, they're they're first of all they're really great music but they 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 all have a purpose like he he's he's picked them off for specific reasons mm-hmm. like and uh, uh, and some of them are apparent and some of them are not some of them are kind of nostalgia thing like there's the Teresa Tang song in in platform that plays twice I think. And that's a very nostalgic thing. This she was like hugely popular in mainland China in the late seventies and early eighties. So it's it puts you in that place if you happen to be from there, or if you've seen mm-hmm. uh, Comrades: A Love Story, which revolves in a lot of way about uh, in a lot of ways around fandom of her music. Uh, mm-hmm. There's also the uh, the song that gives the movie its title is uh, uh, Jan Tai, which is the the movie when they're kind of stranded in the desert and he goes and starts up the truck uh it's about a guy like waiting on a platform which is gentile's mm-hmm. platform and he's like waiting for his girlfriend or something to, to come and it was like the first rock song the, the first like chinese rock song that was hugely popular oh, interesting. and is that the same song that the punk band plays later or i guess yeah, they're punk when he, when he uh <laughs> they they have a look to them i will say yeah they, the yeah, electronic punk. rock and breakdance band <laughs> yeah uh yeah when when Wang Hongwei has uh like donned all the the denim outfit and he's up on stage and he's singing terribly and he goes and picks a fight in the audience and they like try and beat the shit out of him that uh, so what makes me think it's a punk band is that if you yeah. if you actually get into a fight with your audience members uh, I think it qualifies yeah exactly yeah that that's the the song he's covering okay exactly. gotcha okay um I was actually listening to an interview on a podcast I, can't remember. I think it's like studio 310 or something and um, Zhao was talking about how one of his exposures to sort of music and cinema was a movie called Breakin, yeah, Breakin which is like a breakdancing movie. I think Breakin, huh? Breakin or Breakin Two. In the in the one podcast, he mentioned just Breakin. Okay. And uh, that he and his friends started doing a breakdancing troupe around their uh, town. And I wonder how much of that like inspired platform as well, just this idea of music and performance yeah, in this place that he it's grown exactly up. it. Uh, uh, John was born in 1970, so he's like 10 years younger than the yeah, characters yeah. in the film. But his older sister is like six years older than him, and she mm. uh, was a musician. And oh, okay. uh, when he was older, when he was in his teens, he was in a group like this. He was a break dancer. That's awesome. And they and they, would, and they would travel around, and he would put on breakdancing shows with his friends, and and so this is is kind of his teen life, like ten years removed. Like the characters are older because it's more interesting to have these people in their twenties than like a fourteen year old. A fourteen year old breakdancing. Yeah. <laughs> so um, with platform, there's a lot of background. Chinese on the Chinese culture in that time. Yeah. Um, what do you pick on op- up a lot with like that sort of stuff that comes up, especially like Nick and I were talking last week on our, uh, val- or a couple of days ago on our Valentine's pod where there's the scene where the two people are putting their makeup on each other and talking about like th- these executions that are about to happen. You know, like, we have no idea what the context of that is, but oh, uh, there's a lot of things that are brought up like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some of it, 
some of it you can pick up in, in Google. Like there's a like a loudspeaker announcement. Uh, this this is something mm-hmm. I noticed. On. There's a loudspeaker announcement that says that Li Xiaoqi has been rehabilitated. So like three cheers for Li Xiaoqi. So I looked him up, and he was like a Communist Party leader who had been denounced in the Cultural Revolution and like died in exile. And then in 1980, Deng Xiaoping uh, announced that he was posthumously rehabilitated. So you could like say his name again. So that that mm. gives you like a, a clue as to what year it is. Like it's 1980 in that scene. Gotcha. Uh, similarly, there's a couple in uh, that tells you that it's 1984. There's a reference to the negotiations between Britain and China over um, Hong Kong, mm-hmm. which were concluded in 1984. So I, there's, you know, some some of those things you pick up on. You're not you're not going to pick up on everything because we're different people. <laughs> but I mean, it sure. it doesn't really matter all that much. I don't think mm-hmm. like it, that, that stuff is like, it's like interesting trivia, but it, the, I don't think you need to know that stuff to understand the movie. Especially because yeah. the characters in the movie seem kind of distanced from it as well. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like the background of their mm-hmm. lives, but the, but what is going on in their lives is it's, it's specific to this particular place to China in the 1980s as it's moving from, you know, like rural poverty to, uh, uh, consumer society uh but it's also universal because it's about young people seeing their dreams fall apart and having to give up on that and and settle for mm-hmm. a, a normal domestic life yeah there may be like some specifics that that you're missing out on by not knowing the cultural uh signifiers and things like that but i, but I can, think you like can, you said it you can pick up end, on most of it yeah and you you can still see like how the relationship between two of the actors is going and it's not going well. And when things go, they're most awry. Like you don't need to know that much about the culture at the time to know that uh, they are kind of in trouble because they're lying about being married. Right. Yeah. It's a great subplot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and there's a, there's a lot that happens just kind of sideways in the film because he's not uh, he's not like a conventional Hollywood storyteller like you you pick mm-hmm. up you you skip around in time and there's not a lot of signposts that tell you how much time has passed you have to kind of guess based on the character's clothes or little bits like the like the loudspeaker announcements or something like that uh and uh they'll like throw you into a situation and and you won't really understand the point of the scene maybe until the scene is over like when uh when that guy and his girlfriend are in the hospital, you're not really sure why they're there. And then you're very sure why they're there. And then, you know, it becomes very obvious, but, but initially Mm -hmm. you don't know. Whereas in Hollywood, you're, you're taught to like always make sure the audience knows where they are. Yeah. It'll, it'll say abortion clinic. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I actually, I actually watched this twice. Um, and I didn't rewatch still life just because I, I felt like that one was easier to, follow it's it's much more linear um but this it it jumps around a lot and people are moving in and out of town a lot and i think rewatching it was helpful just to see like you said at the beginning of that scene i already know where they are so i know like the subtext of what they're saying um and got more out of it on a rewatch um i was kind of reminded of uh a City of Sadness, which I, I did the same thing last year when I watched that. I watched it and thought about it for a few days, read a little bit about the history of Taiwan. And I was like, oh, I didn't know any of that stuff. And then rewatched it and a lot of the, the specifics of each scene sort of clicked together. 
yeah, I I pick up more every time I watch one of these movies. It's one of the things that makes them so fun to rewatch, even if the movies aren't like funny. Although they are funny at times, uh, they have interesting dark humor to them. Yeah, through all three. Yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, it's the the scene where uh, early in the film where the the boys are having uh, Wong Hong Wei's mom sew their pants into bell bottoms. <laughs> And then his dad is like, can, can you squat in that? <laughs> and he's funny. like desperately trying to go down. Yeah. It's great. It's, it's, it's really funny, but it's very, very kind of deadpan and not really played up. So. Yeah. Yeah. And also I think just, you know, shows a very good cultural divide between these two people. Um, yeah. And especially how like China is going to develop throughout the rest of the movie. Um, what makes this like your favorite, uh, Sean? Uh, well, I think it's also Nick's favorite, so I can turn that question to Nick as well after you're done. I think part of it is that is, is that it's just that it is just so expansive, and there's so there's so many characters and so many different ways of of looking at it. Like I think uh, something like Still Life or uh, A Touch of Sin is a little more. Uh, kind of polemical kind of specific mm-hmm. in the stories that it's telling and there are fewer characters uh like there's a lot of characters in a touch of sin but i feel like there's more people in platform if that makes sense sure um, and each uh each story in a touch of sin is so specifically one person right. and in this movie like um what's his uh long hung way is definitely like sort of the central figure between all these people but there's scenes where we see Zhang and Zong, the two people that are having the relationship in the troop. Like there's just scenes with them yep. where we're not we're focused on Wang or anything. And then again, like I mentioned, there's this scene where we kind of cut back to Zhao Tao after a while and she's dancing in that room. And we're sort of reminded that like, there's this person that left earlier and is still living this other life. Well, um, I mean, and that song is so beautiful. The scene, that scene is, is so great. I, I talk about that scene all the time because it's, it's somebody who who gave up on being a dancer. Like she she yeah, quit exactly. the musical troupe and she's got a job in this office. She's like a tax collector now, but she's like working by herself late at one night. She's like filing papers and listening to the radio, and she can't help herself. But the song comes on and it means something to her, and she just starts dancing and goes into this whole like kind of ballet routine by herself, and it's just. It's so it's so sad and happy at the same time. Which the the song reflects that, um, both in the tone of how it sounds, as well as me trying to find translations of the lyrics and being like, that's an emotionally conceived song along with just about every scene of this movie. I love uh, I love how he uses that song to link uh, her character with Wang Hongwei's character because mm-hmm. they've been apart for years at this point they've broken up Uh, 
uh, and he's still with the troupe. And it, the sequence starts with him and the and the theatrical troupe is rehearsing, and the song that they're playing very badly on in like a with like a brass band and saxophones is this song. And they're and they're singing it, and he kind of wanders out into the courtyard and has a cigarette, and then it cuts to mm-hmm. her, and she hears the same song on the radio. And then before she's done with her dance, we cut back to him sometime later in a truck, and we hear the song still going on the soundtrack, so he's still got it in his head, even though they're they're separated by geography and time, they're still you know feeling the same. You can teach J and L cuts from that little sequence alone, just to a film class. Just be like, that's that's what J and L cuts do, yeah, back to back. Uh, I think I, more more than anything else, I think I think platform and also his his other early films, Unknown Pleasures and uh, and Shawu, are so much more personal because they, they they come so much more out of his own personal experience, and they're so specific mm-hmm. to his conditions growing up in in his town with his friends and his family in his time whereas the the later films like the when he got back to fiction filmmaking are much more kind of theoretical movies like exercises in in genre and uh kind of using genre as a means to explore china's modernization it's more theoretical than the actual lived experience of what it was like in fen yang in 1984 something like that What I do really love about the ending of Platform is it kind of, in that final scene, almost reaches this sense of theoretical where they're now in this, like, sort of modern apartment and um, Wong is just, like, sleeping on a chair. And, like, I I love that, like, dichotomy. It's like, that's where the whole movie is leading to. It's just very bare, modern. I I, I hate to tell you this because I I am much older than you guys, I believe, and uh, that is where life leads you Great. Take a, you take a nap, and there's a kid crying. I uh, I'm older than I look. <laughs> I've got a couple of kids. I've been I have All been right. that guy, not cigarette hanging out, but I've definitely like fallen asleep on the couch with uh, kids laying on me, and yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I I think uh, platform is probably my favorite of the the ones of his I've seen. I just find it sort of beguiling, and that's uh, a an emotion that I love after watching a movie where, like you said, every time you go back to it, there's more to pick up on. Um, and I, I like how it's sort of a slice of life movie. There's not that much plot, not a ton of big drama compared to, you know, a touch of sin or ashes, pure white or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the moments in it are pretty small. Um, but I think they uh, do a really good job of sort of reflecting the, themes that he wants to present of uh, a changing China. It's sort of like um, Ozu's, like he, his movies don't feel like Ozu movies, but I, yeah. I think thematically he's interested in sort of a, a similar thing where it's a lot of generational divide and the reject modernity, embrace tradition um, ethos. And also I think it's like a, a slice of life, a chunk of a country. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I think Platform um, is maybe the most uh, 
wrapped up in that theme, but I, I don't know that that's true. I'm <laughs> looking through, through the list of all his movies, and they all do it. So, I, I mean, the world feels very much like that as well. Uh, Mountains mm-hmm. Made Apart is... Yeah, Mountains Made Apart. Goes, goes a step further when it's Jaws' generation predicting the parents, yeah. and they're becoming estranged from their children, what that's like. Yeah, and that one also has... Uh, we were talking about use of music and how sometimes it's it's not as subtle and um the the song that bookends that movie is not very subtle although it's awesome mm-hmm. yeah i mean there there are, are subtle things in, in it <clears throat> that connected like uh, i'm i am i am most proud for for figuring this out which is uh when i go on mountains made apart but the the song is go west by the pet shop boys the village people cover and it opens with the sound of like uh seagulls and waves crashing and uh, the movie opens with that song and Zhao Tao's leading the dance. And one of her like uh, movements is kind of a wavy gesture with her hand. And uh, her name, Tao, uh, is uh, the same as the symbol for waves in China or a great mm-hmm. wave. And uh, that's also her character's name. And in the third segment where her son is now grown up and hasn't seen his mom for... 10 years, 15 years, something like that. Uh, he's, he's asked what he remembers about her, and, he's, and uh, he says all he remembers is that her, her name is Tao, like waves. And at the end, uh, he's sitting on a beach, and the waves are crashing, and then it cuts back to her. And you still hear the sound of the waves, and then the song comes back, and she dances to it again. So... I did not... You will be surprised to learn I did not pick up that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there, there is subtlety even in a village people cover. It's a good song. Anyway. <laughs> I just, I, I love, I love that fact, and it's also, you know, it's a song that was popular at the time, and that's why Jaw is one of the reasons Jaw put in the movie is because that's mm-hmm. the song that he listened to at the time, and it was popular in all of the discos and the clubs, and and there's all of that. But I think, I think the waves thing is is really neat. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I think we could move on to still life now. I think this would be a good time to transition a bit. Um, so I'll, I'll take over sort of the discussion of still life a little bit. Um, I want to start off with sort of this uh, idea that Ebert brought up on the La Dolce Vita essay. I don't know if you've ever read his essays on La Dolce Vita, Sean. But, it's um, been like 20 years. So Yeah. Um, but we talked about the idea that like... Um, he mentions that there's this scene where they're sort of dancing in the ruins of this uh, old um, temple, like Greek Italian temple. And he says like, they're like ghosts in a just haunting a destroyed palace. And that I think kind of sums up still life where like, there's like 2000 years of history. And like, these are old towns that are going to get destroyed in like a matter of days or months for this sort of incoming modern idea of China. Um, the basic story is kind of, it, it's split into two. Um, there's Han who's looking for his wife. Um, and, uh, uh, is it, uh, Shen? Shen I'm trying Hong. to, Shen Hong. um, yeah, she's trying to find her husband. They're both overall trying to find their spouse slash the child's, their child's as well. Um, and they're both looking for them in this town that is um, partially and soon to be completely destroyed by an incoming 
dam that they're putting in and will be soon to be flooded. And uh, I find the opening scene just already hits off on like how scary and depressing this world is, where Han pays a man five yen to take him to the address, and he completes that. He, he completes the task, but the, the address is underwater. Like, he's li- he, he points to some, like, like little riparian sticking out of the, the top of the water. He's like, that's the tree of your house. And um, it's, it's just depressing to see, like, all this, like, history that's being washed away. It's kind of a dick move on that guy's part to yeah, but take the him there and not Yeah, but the incoming off. capitalist, like, market-based China. Like, this is, like, the first step we have of this sort of idea. Yeah. He, he does say, like, that guy, too, says, um, like, oh, yeah, my house is that part over there. Um, yeah. So, like, that's, that's sort of, I guess, dryly humorous in, like, mm-hmm. a really sad and depressing way, but it shows how, how the, the Three Gorges Dam is, like, not just affected Hans on Ming, but seemingly everyone in that town. Mm-hmm. Including, and uh, we're going to get, this is like the one movie of the three, I think, where there was, quote, with spoilers in, but it's also affecting aliens living there. And, um... Yeah, Sean, what's what's up with the aliens? <laughs> Not I'm, just here, but in Ash's spirit story. Like, what are the aliens about? I mean, it's, uh... I mean, I, I, I think it's pretty simple. I, it's just, it looks like an alien landscape. Like, you, yeah. when you... When you go back to a town and it's not the same as you remember it it's it's like you're on another world like it's 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 a surreal experience like you expect aliens to be flying by you could see a a ufo or a apartment building lift off into the sky like it it it's just that like i think it's just that experience of of alienation i suppose it's just interesting that that's something so like overtly symbolic, whereas I can't think of any other like purely symbolic imagery in any of his movies. Well, there's the uh, the animated sequences in the world. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a few others. There's uh, in in platform. There's one early in in the movie when uh, when. Uh, Wang Hongwei and Zhao Tao are, are talking by the, the old wall. Oh, um, I love that old brick that you see around that town. Yeah, that's... The way uh, he blocks it. Is that the one where they keep walking back, where he asks if uh, they're engaged? Well, there's mm-hmm. there's that one where the, where, he, where they keep uh, going behind the corner and you can only see one of them at the time. But I'm, I love I'm how really stuff. The one, the yeah. one it's it's on. unbelievable. Uh, the one early on, they're having they're having this conversation, and uh, like halfway through it, uh, uh, Wong lights a cigarette, mm-hmm. and he's smoking a cigarette, and they continue the conversation, and then gradually you see that he's uh, thrown his match into like some dried grass, and it's starting a fire, and it just gets bigger and bigger as the, mm-hmm. the thing comes on before they they finally notice that he's set this ancient wall on fire. I. Uh, so I mean that's not the same as like a you know a UFO sighting, but it's a, just a subtly kind of strange mm-hmm. moment that kind of un- unsettles you from the the sense of like a neo realistic 
reality mm-hmm. that you would get. I guess the, the snake that we see in um, the third chapter of Touch yeah. of Sin sort of falls under that, like the one that she sees on the there's ground. There's snakes and apples in the, yeah. in the prologue. Like there's these ideas of, you know, mm-hmm. fall of human, humanity and like sin. Um, yeah. But... And you have, yeah, uh, I, even in, uh, uh, sorry, even in uh, I Wish I Knew, which is a documentary about Shanghai, you have uh, Zhao Tao walking through the city in between all of these, like, very traditional kind of talking head interviews. But then you just have an interlude with her, like, walking through Shanghai in the rain as, like, the, the ghost of the city past or something. It's very, mm. it's very kind of surreal. Nice. Um, talking about, like, the surreal landscape, like, the landscape in still life, I feel like it's simultaneously incredibly modern and at the same time futuristically dystopian. This like burnt out, hollow, like shell of a city. It's it's frightening and really sad. And there's a lot of scenes where they're like working on buildings, and it just it doesn't seem real. And um, I think there's that one building that is weirdly shaped that takes off. Um, and I was, t- I was talking about this with Nick, too. It was like, I feel like if I saw that building in any other movie, I'd be like, that's a fucking weird building. Like, there's something up with that building. And it still looks weird in still life, but there's so many empty, shelled out buildings in still life that, like, it doesn't incredibly stand out in that way that makes me immediately go, like, something's really fucked up with that building. So yeah. when it takes off... <laughs> It reminds me of like animals that like run away during an earthquake. Like these aliens, whatever they are, just like this place is like it's screwed up. Beyond repair, you need to go up. I don't. I don't know if that building is designed to look like that, or it looks like that because they've like torn down half of it, and that's just the shell that's remaining. Yeah, that's what, what I was thinking when I saw it the first time, and then it goes into space. Yeah, it's this movie blew my mind. I. I love this one. This is my favorite of the three. Um, and uh, I don't know. They, it, there's like, there's just this interlude where these people are walking through with hazmat suits, spraying stuff down. And it, it really just feels like this is just a toxic place that it's just, it's gone to waste. Um, in the middle of this movie, we cut from Han sort of, he, I mean, at one point, he realizes, like, he, he can't find his wife at the original address, so he's going to start trying to look through other way, means, and at this time, he starts getting work as, like, a person that's, like, tearing down buildings. But then we cut to um, uh, Zhao Tao's uh, character through interlude of UFO, which is just, a, what a way to introduce your wife on screen in the middle of a movie. Um, and this this also starts to build up this idea of, like, in this emptied out city like just like there's this like sort of gangs rising up getting stronger and fighting each other more and um i think the combination of these supernatural sort of elements along with this like more violent gang oriented mindset of this movie will like lead into his more stylized um dramas of his later career um but so that's why i feel like this was a good midpoint to work with um but there's just so many, uh, there's more visual setting things that I re- think of than just like the characters in this movie. It reminds me of uh, a lot of like Puppet Master, where Puppet Master is just sort of this, this dude. And uh, there's just so many like interesting 
elements of settings and places and actions that happen around these characters that I get more enveloped in that than I do the actual people. Yeah, it's it's very much about like just kind of the the look and the texture of the place and the people within it than it is any kind of plot or like dialogue or anything. Like what else? It, 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 yeah, yeah. What, what do you think? What 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 I get caught up in is like the just the the bodies of the workers working oh there, God. like these these you know sweaty, dirty men kind of crowded together in this little space. And the way they're, you know, they have this terrible job for very little pay in terrible conditions. It's hot and humid all the time. It's probably unsafe. filled with toxic chemicals and dust. But but they have this kind of of community and camaraderie together. Mm -hmm. That's that's really inspiring. Yeah, there's this fantastic connection, especially between Han and someone named uh, Brother Mark, who um, ends up under a pile of rubble. And I, I read that, the, that it was possible that this was a gang-related murder, um, yeah, there's, or an uh, accident. It's never fully uh, explained. They're they're part of like the demolition committee, and part of their job is to go to people's houses and say, "You have to leave now. We're going to tear your house down." And some people don't want to go, so and they fight back. Yeah. So they they send him to this place, and and they kill him. Yeah, and um, he they're they're like standing in the building, and they're like kind of looking around and uh, Han calls them and then he just hears his phone under this pyramid of rubble. Yeah. Um, it's just disturbing. It's great it's, how we, they set that up, two of them, like going back and forth with their different ringtones. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. And then like yeah. comparing like what songs they used mm-hmm. as their, uh, yes. as their uh, phone. You see an earlier um, shot with him where he's been bullied. They've, uh, they've uh, stuffed him into a suitcase. So you see him mm-hmm. sitting in the pile of rubble with just his head sticking out, and he's in like this bag. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very clear that 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 this is a guy who is who is very much picked on. But but San Ming is is nice to him because San Ming is is a prince among men. Mm-hmm. He's just a great guy. Mm-hmm. And who um, we see in a lot of these movies. Well, uh, Han San Ming is uh, Jaw's cousin. Mm-hmm. They grew up together. Gotcha. They're, they're kind of the same age. Uh, he was an actual coal miner. Uh, oh, wow. He's not an actor at all. Uh, Platform was uh, his uh, the first time he worked with Jaw, I think. And uh, he's in most of his movies since then, up until, I think, uh, The Short The Hedonists in 2015-2016. And he always plays the same character. So you, mm-hmm. you can, I, I have this theory that there's a San Ming cinematic universe where all of John's <laughs> movie, Jaws movies take place in the same timeline and they're all about this one guy who is this very quiet, very kind of shy and calm, but, uh, but resolute and, and moral and, and nice salt of the earth worker guy. And that all, all, of, all of the subsequent movies are in some way about him. Even if he's got like a small part, it's it's he's the the grounded element that uh, brings Jaw back to the actual like physical experience of workers in China. It's it's a great use, and he's such an enigmatic presence on the screen. Even if he's not like a, a trained professional actor or anything, he he's this, always noticeable. This, this interview I was reading about him was uh, uh, Jaw says that that uh, 
he realized that what was different about Sam Ming is is everybody else was like caught up in the in the in like the the modernization of of China and everybody was in a hurry. Everybody was always moving really fast. All of the other actors, the crew, uh, Jaw himself, they always were like going a mile a minute. And Sam Ming was always slower, not not <laughs> dumber, but he just moved slower. He talked slower. He measured his words more carefully. He just he moved differently than everyone else, and you pick that up on screen. Like yeah, it's is, incredibly he, apparent. He is palpably different from everybody he encounters in the movie, and <laughs> uh, and and you, you you feel that energy, and you feel his uh, his naturalness in a way that you don't even of the other non professional actors in the film. Like it's he's, true. he's great. I think I think he's a, a great film presence if not a great actor mm-hmm. um kind of going back to the Zhao Tao um aspect of the story um I think I like the Zhao Tao storyline maybe a little bit more um but there's just like too. moments that I stuck with me like when she's like bandaging someone's head and then suddenly like the sparks of the like how does it, like electrical things go on around her um also, especially when she meets her husband, and uh, she sort of just like walks away, and he, like has to follow her, and they don't really say much besides just like I'm leaving, I want a divorce, um, and then they like dance on the very edge of where the current water level is next to the Three Gorges Dam, and it really just feels like a, like a last moment before this couple's love itself is going to get swallowed up by, you know this incoming force of modernization. I feel like that's a word we use a lot with Jean in this podcast, but he really has his eye trained on uh, that sort of thing. Um, I do want to go... Oh. Yeah, you go on, you go on. Oh, it's not important at all. I just want to say another moment that I found actually pretty funny was uh, when she is bandaging, it's like one of the um, kids who works for her husband who got beat up by a rival gang member and he's bleeding from his head and he has his hand on his head and they start, one of the other gang members starts bandaging it. <laughs> They're bandaging it around his hand with his hand still stuck to his <laughs> head. I thought that was very, very funny. It's a good moment. Um, yeah. Even in this movie, there's a lot of good humor. The occasional levity. Yeah. Especially from, uh, the, the Mark guy. Um, he, oh, him, he, like him trying to, uh, or I'm not trying to successfully lighting, doing the chow yun fat, like with, <laughs> instead of the hundred dollar bill, just a ripped up piece of newspaper, lighting a cigarette. So good. Yeah. It's, it's great. I, and he, it, when he dies, it's like a, there, you could like tell that there's this sort of like uplifting presence lost around this community. And again, it's just sad. It's so sad. Um, and in the end, uh, Han, uh, does, um, and was his last name Han San Ming? Uh, last name Han, his, his name is San Ming. Oh, that's right. Name. I'm sorry. They switched. Uh, I, I need to get better at this. Um, yeah, he uh, he finally finds his wife. And her, his wife is basically like a boat slave, basically, to someone. Uh, because of deaths indentured, that one of the other servant. characters is wrapped up. She's an indentured servant because her mm. brother owes money to some guy. Yeah, and it sort of ends on this note where he wants to take his wife with him, but in order to do that, uh, he basically will have to pay the debts off. 
And uh, he promises to do that by going back to, he says, uh, Shanyi, um, to become a, a minor, which she said that was his like main profession, but also that's where, you know, um, Ja grew up and that's where his first films take place. And it's like these debts that are being built up in this place where, you know, destruction and capital is being thrown around. Um, it's going to be, you know, going out and affecting all these communities, including his own at some point. Yeah, well, when, um, when we see San Ming again, it's in A Touch of Sin, and he is in Shanxi uh, recruiting people to go work on the Three Gorges Dam project. So, <laughs> in theory, he's out there, he's up there trying to, to raise money to buy his wife back and, and go back. Interesting. I, I don't think I picked up on every single one of these, like, <laughs> you know, relations between all the Han San Ming characteristics. But there's, a, there's um, only one character. It's the same guy. Every exactly. Day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need a you need to like do a, a, a MCU like fan theory video like like air like the arrows and like the picture head <laughs> of the video like this is him here like she, but she didn't see that sort of thing. Where you do all the 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 images uh, like you slackshawed. <laughs> well, most most of the other ones he has he has like a very small part. Like in in the world he's. Uh, uh, there's some workers from Shanxi who are are construct working construction in Beijing, and one of them dies, and he's like part of the group that comes to collect his body and take him home. Mm. And is mm. uh, a similar small part in Mountains Made Apart, I think, just as one of the coal miners in the place where one of the main characters works. So mm. this, still life is really the the showcase for him. Still life and and platform, I think he plays a really important role in in mm -hmm. that film too. So as a, a kind of contrast with with. Wang Hongwei. Yeah. Um, and Still Life sort of ends on this really beautiful shot of a tightrope walker walking between two shelled buildings. And uh, I don't know, that's not subtle, but this idea that like China is sort of walking this tightrope that they're, you know, breaking and that tightrope walker is going to fall off at some point. Yeah, it's, um, it's, also, it's also just a beautiful image. Of it's true. There, there's so many. Yeah. Uh, there's another image when uh, Sun Min is talking with his wife in this rubbled out building. They're like probably 20 or 30 stories up, and there's a big hole mm -hmm. in the wall that we just look out into the city. And uh, we see some like skate skyscrapers in the background while they're talking. Just one of the skyscrapers blows up and collapses. It's. Oh. I don't know how much of that was like you know, generated or I know they filmed this while they were destroying the city. So did they just like, know? Oh, they're going to demolish this no, building. No, that's, that's like digital effects. That's, yeah. That's I, I assumed it was, but there's a lot in this movie where it's just like, yeah, that's a massive building that is just emptied and rubbled. It's, it's strange talking to sort of about the digital stuff though. Like they, I saw someone mention like Jaws, maybe like the greatest digital filmmaker of the modern age and i think it's maybe most apparent in still life where it seems to be using he's like a higher frame rate almost it's got that sort of look to it and yeah, you know you I can tell it's digital but like those especially like you were saying like the shot of the walker it's just beautiful and it never loses that sort of texture that is sometimes lost by modern digital filmmakers yeah it, i mean every every copy i i see of still life is is really kind of soft 
and a little mm. kind of blurry around the edges, which is mm-hmm. which is not what you expect from digital. You get more like a touch of sin or ashes pierced white. It's like really sharp images. Yeah. Uh, uh, then uh, unknown pleasures, which was his first digital film, is is very grainy and kind of low grade digital. It's like two thousand three, so it's very early uh, digital cameras. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He gets he gets uh, he gets different looks out of them, and especially like with uh, Mountains Made Apart and Ashes Pierce White, he he'll use different cameras and different textures to evoke different eras of the films that he's making. Like I think he uses seven seven different cameras in Ashes Pierce White, just to delineate the different time periods of the story. And there's like there's three different aspect ratios in uh, Mountains Made Apart. Mountains Made Apart, yeah, for the wow. three different stories. Uh, is that for like each era is a different um, aspect yeah. ratio to it yeah i think gotcha. it, it gets wider as it goes oh, if i remember right that, it's been a while pretty cool uh yeah so i mean he he uses it in 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 creative ways like he's he's always thinking about the technology that he's using to create the the images which most people don't i don't i don't know that mm. i would say that he's like the best but I don't sure that's just something i read and it stood out to me because when I was trying to rewatch, it might have been my world uh, letterbox review. Oh, really? <laughs> Maybe I don't know. I, 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 you're calling your shot, Nick. I, I compared it to uh, I forget. What I said something about like form serving uh, the themes of the movie um, in the world being like almost at the level. This is like hyperbole coming from me. Uh, at the level of Chris Marker and Lajete using photographs. Um, I don't. You, I don't actually believe do that. I don't actually believe that, but it's. I, I think it's done really well, and I think it serves like the the world. Since you haven't seen it, right, Dylan? No. It's about um, a theme park in Beijing, which is called the. I, I did park. read about. It. I like. Okay. It. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, a theme park of like. It had the Twin Towers and the Eiffel Tower and the London Bridge. You go in Beijing, and you can see all this stuff at, at like a much reduced scale. Um, it's yeah. sort of like it's a very weird uh theme park um but it's all about like you know that artifice and i think the digital filmmaking reflects that artifice very well sure um sean just because you probably haven't really heard us uh nick's favorite movie is la jete by like 10 billion trillion miles and that's respectable i cannot believe you compare anything yeah me comparing anything to it is uh (laughs) high praise but i don't mean it like this yeah, of course you don't, because you love Lachete that much. You, you're not going to do that. It's a great movie. Um, yeah, so let's uh, a touch of sin. Nick, you want to take us over here? Yeah, so um, a touch of sin is uh, sort of a departure stylistically, because this is an anthology film. Um, it's from 2013, and it actually, I don't know if it debuted at... Uh, can in 2013 but it played at canon it won the uh, best screenplay award for jaw so it's four stories um and it starts with a prologue of the guy from the second story on a motorcycle getting stopped by some dudes they are going to rob him and he immediately very cold and calculatedly just shoots all of them (laughs) um I think this is also like probably the, I don't know, the most remembered image of the movie, um, which is the, the spilled apples on the road. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, the actor that plays the first guy, um, Zheng Wu. Yeah, Zheng Wu um, taking a bite of the apple while uh, the like truck or something explodes in the background. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wrote in my like you know shitty little letterbox review like like him biting into that apple is like he released like a gate of hell in that moment that is going to be like birth China's violence at least in the terms of the story out of. But it's a fascinating place to start with, like, the, the biting of the apple is, again, not subtle, but mm-hmm. effective. So I haven't seen um, Unknown Pleasures, Pickpocket, or 24 City, but is this his most, um, like, overtly violent movie then? Because it, it oh, seems, yeah. compared to, like, Still Life, The World Platform, yeah. a pretty big departure. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's all based on... Uh, yeah, real real stories that were in the news around the time. Yeah. So he uh, was kind of reading these stories and uh, just wanted to ex- to kind of explore how society was getting so violent. Mm-hmm. So that required a certain degree of violence in his films, which none of none of his movies are particularly violence violent. There's a there's a big fight scene in Ash's Purest White, but other mm-hmm. than that. I kind of assumed Ash's Purest White was like a really violent movie. I'm surprised to hear that Touch of Sid might be an outlier. Yeah, I mean, it has like this one sort of uh, marquee scene, but it's mostly like using a genre to to Trojan horse in okay. his cool. jawisms, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, this was also like sort of his um, reflection on this stuff was in the news, but it wasn't in the regular news. It wasn't in the state media. All these violent acts were being buried by state media, but they were showing up on, um, not Twitter, but, but other social media forms that they had there. So these were all things that people knew about, but they weren't being broadcast by the state government. So this was sort of his, um, exploration of that. And this movie, I don't know if it's still banned, but in that disc, um, in the interview with, Tony Raines at the time of the interview, which I think was done a couple years after, um, he said they were. It, it wasn't banned, but it was sort of in this purgatory where it hadn't been approved, but it hadn't been banned yet. So it was just kind of sitting, waiting. I, I think, I think the state of a touch of sin was that it was approved, but he was never allowed to actually show it. <laughs> what, what what is that then? <laughs> it's true purgatory, but it's uh, a. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw it. Uh, I saw it. It, uh, it played at the Vancouver Film Festival in mm-hmm. in the fall of 2013. And uh, uh, Ja had had like a long uh, history with the festival. He won. Uh, I think he won in a, a their like Young Asian Filmmaker Award for for Zhao Wu. There, uh, he was there in 2010 with I Wish I Knew. I actually saw him. He's very short. Uh, uh, did you get to talk to him or did you just like see, hear him talk and stuff? I, I give him a nod. Okay. Nice. That's, that's huge. Yeah. Uh, uh, so a touch of sin played there and it was like this big gala screen, like this theater with like a thousand people all there to see a touch of sin, which is a great environment to see a movie like this. Uh, and he had like, uh, like taped a message in that he couldn't come in for, for some reason or another, but he said that he was happy to announce that the film has been approved by censors so you know look for it in theaters in china soon and then it never was allowed to open so 
There you go. Yeah. Just kind of a, a an in between bureaucratic hole. You did actually say that um, since it got released elsewhere, like in other countries, people would just torrent it. Sure. So yeah. people were able to see it, just not on the big screen. Um, so the first chapter is the uh, Appalachian Guide to High, played by Jung Woo. He's a coal miner. Um, we're back to the coal mining theme. And his local village has sort of been taken over by this corporation who um, the leader of the corporation named Jaus has gotten not just rich, but like insanely rich to the point where not only does he have a private jet when he flies back into town, but people come from the city to applaud him. It's, it's kind of creepy. And it feels like if you watch all these three movies together, like this is like, we've hit like the later stage of like capitalism. Like there's like, there's like two sort of levels in the first two. And then, this is where it's sort of come to fruition that people are writing private jets to audiences. Yeah, it sort of felt to me like the Zhao Tao's husband and his mistress character, like where they ultimately end yeah. up a few years down the line. Yeah, there's the, yeah. there were the the assets of the village that were held collectively mm-hmm. since the since the revolution, and then as as China privatized the the village chief sold the collect the the town's property to this developer and pocketed all the money for himself basically Great. and, and, and yeah, so the, the largest the, to the community yeah the chief and the uh accountant guy the the yeah. finance guy um are both basically in cahoots with jouse who's become uh, a billionaire borderline just from all the yeah the work that that these people collectively should have had a piece of and Dehai's sort of uh, motive is to, for them to right those wrongs. Like part of what, what they're going to meet him for at a part is they're all going to get a bag of rice. Yeah. They're, they're meeting him at his private jet yeah. so that, that it, they can all get a bag of rice. Um, like the barest minimum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when he calls him out on it, he gets the, uh, the shit kicked out of him by pretty some dogs. Yeah, and they try to pay him off, which um, I guess most of the time probably would work, but not for him. He grabs a gun, grabs a cool-looking tiger flag, and the tiger roars. Oh, that's yeah. oh, that's, that's another, that's another um, one of those alien-type moments where it's. Obviously, the flag isn't literally roaring. <laughs> that's a great. Oh, that's a, that's such a good moment. That's awesome. That's so good. <laughs> and he goes on. Uh, he goes on a killing spree. He he kills the account guy and his wife, which I don't know that he needed to do that. Yeah, that w- that was a little extra, but I mean, I'll, I'll cut him yeah, some slack, I guess. <laughs> I'll cut him slack on killing the account. Like she didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I do think that I would need to mention that, like, the movie does a very good job of, like, saying, like, he was trying to use many other means before this, like, sort of violence. Like, this was, like, a very last step sort of action he took. Yeah, that is true. And Um, it's, like, this is what, like, this society is leading to is, like, just this end point of violence no matter what happens. And he uh, gets the, the village chief, and then he gets the big boss. 
Yeah. And, and then you hear patrol cars come and he just cracks a little smile because he did, yeah. he, he did what he needed to do. Yeah. And this is based on a, uh, a real incident that took place about a decade, 12 years before the, uh, the movie came out. Quick, quick question. Uh, Sean, is that name actually pronounced Jaws? Oh, I don't Do remember. You know? I don't remember the name. That's okay. How, um, how, is, how is it spelled? J i a o s. J i a o s. Yeah, I don't know. Doesn't sound. Yeah, like a there's a. Name. I don't know if you've watched any Gamera movies, but his main arch villain is called Zhao. So I was just very confused. Uh, I don't know. that. I don't know. If any maybe Chinese it's names maybe it's Jiao. That could be. I, I'd be happy to call him Joust. It would make sense because the Joust are in camera are not fun, but and neither is that guy. Yeah, I think I threw an S on where an S doesn't belong. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know. the uh, the I second chapter is, I think, the darkest chapter. It's also, I think, the shortest chapter. It's pretty just direct. I think. I think the last did, one is. is we got to go back and talk about it real quick. Um, I know we mentioned him <laughs> earlier, but Han Sung-ming in um, the first chapter, he, he's sitting at like a noodle bar or like a, a, a lunch place and DeHyde just comes up and starts eating from his bowl. And in a post-COVID world, <laughs> I felt very uncomfortable with that. <laughs> he doesn't even ask. He just comes up and picks food out of his bowl. It's like, come on, man. Well, it's, you know, it's collective ownership of lunch of, of noodles okay that's fair uh, so chapter two is about Sanner, the guy from the prologue who shot all the uh, thugs and he returns home to his uh, for his mom's birthday party and he's got a mm-hmm. couple brothers and then he's got a wife and a kid who um, the kid doesn't seem to even really know him he's clearly been estranged from the family and the vast majority of this is just about him being kind of weird, being kind of a loner. He's mysterious. He buys multiple bus tickets to different cities and his wife goes through his bag and he hasn't even decided where he wants to go. But we already know that he's got inclinations of violence since we saw him kill three people. Yeah. And he talks about really off to it. <laughs> yeah. He, he talks about uh, really liking shooting guns. And we see him follow a woman. He's he's like out at chops. He follows well, I, a woman. I, I, before we get to that, I do want to yep. mention um, fireworks in movies is like one of my favorite things in, in cinema. And there's an amazing scene where they there's these fireworks going off the background, and uh, his former celebrity is taking his like little son out and shooting a pistol in the air. Tell symbolic. Um, God, I need to make a compilation of just fireworks in movies. It's always it's always so good. And it works so well in this movie for me. I've wanted to do that with uh, Christmas lights and movies. Yeah, your Christmas lights that's, is your that's thing. my thing. Yeah, anytime you have Christmas lights in the movie, mm. get brighter summer's day here. Yeah, that's true. My my go to is always uh, eyes wide shut. It's another good one. Anyways, uh, so he follows a woman in the middle of the day, busy street, shoots her. She's the guy she's with, steals her bag, gets on a bus. That's pretty much it. <laughs> and it's based on... So this this ends um, much more ambiguously than... Well, we don't know where he's going. He's he's obviously not going back to his 
his family. We do know that he sends money home. Uh, but this is based on a guy who um, was named Zhao Kehua, who died in a shootout with the police, actually. So his his end was not as um, ambiguous as it is in the movie. That's one way to put it. Yep. <laughs> so that's that one. It uh, it's interesting. Like it, it sort of, I guess, is um, bringing up how modern society is is like a Travis Bickle for modern yep, China. I guess. I guess. Uh... Both of the characters in the first two stories reminded Jaw of characters in uh, this book called The Water Margin, mm. which is kind of how we got the idea for the kind of wuja nature of of the movie. Uh, the Water Margin uh, is written during the Qing Dynasty, and it's about these uh, rebels during the Song Dynasty who uh, retreated to a mountain and fought corrupt officials who were like exploiting the people and like taking bribes and doing all kinds of horrible things like like the guy in Jang uh, Wu's story. Uh, hmm. And they're, they're kind of bandits, they're swordsmen, and uh, the water margin is the, the basis for a lot of the tropes of uh, wuja literature and film, which is... Uh, uh, kind of stories of uh, uh, people of violence who live outside the bounds of normal human society. So like wandering swordsmen or kung fu fighters or triad gangsters are all kind of based in this kind of idea of wuja literature. And so a, a touch of sin uh, in relating these real life violent people to this long tradition is showing just kind of a continuity of both the the corruption of Chinese society and also the struggle against it. Sure. I do think we should mention, like, this movie definitely is stylized the most of the three movies here and probably the most of any of his movies with sort of that wuja or, um, you know, violent, I don't know, it's not kung fu style, but especially in, like, the third story where she, like, attacks him with a knife. Like, there's a sort of martial arts element to it that, you would find in some of those other movies. Yeah, it's uh, the way the way she poses with the knife is very mm, much sure. like uh, from like intimate confessions of a Chinese courtesan or something. And mm. I mean, we we talk about the the big snake that that mm. she comes across, and she sees the the movie Green Snake on TV, and yeah, he, he uh, compared her character sort of not as a like a she represents this, but more as an oblique comparison to um, the character from A Touch of Zen, actually. Yeah, which I read that today, and I was kind of dumbfounded by it, because she doesn't remind me of that character at all, but <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, sure, if that's if that's how we conceived of her, yeah, I can totally see that. It's the same kind of uh, strong woman character. Yeah, yeah, that's in, in the interview, uh, like the only interview I've watched of him was that that same Tony Rains one, but that that's sort of like she wasn't going like she obviously isn't a very similar character at all, but she's at least a strong woman in a fucked up world, I guess. Yeah, I remember when there when there were rumors of a touch of sin coming out, where like and, and it was it was billed as as Jaws 
Zhao uh, Jenko makes a Wuxia movie. So we mm-hmm. were uh, kind of expecting something like The Assassin, like Ho Xiao Shen makes a Wuxia movie. Mm-hmm. And then it we we got it, and it's it's a Zhao Jenko movie with like little like kind of kind of <laughs> has some killing in it. to Wuxia. Like it's it's not a Wuxia movie. It's a it's a Zhao movie, but yeah, but that element is there, and it's. It's it's that kind of structure that kind of holds the movie together. You get the 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 opera that that Zhang Wu sees in the first story. He it's like a is it a puppet? It's like a street theater opera. Is is of a story from the Water Margin. And then at the end of the film, uh, in like the epilogue, where Zhao Tao mm-hmm. goes back to to Fenyang and she sees another opera, and it's uh, uh, from the story of Suisan, which is uh, another kind of traditional story and the guy in the opera is like is like uh are you guilty are you guilty are you guilty and you see like the face of the audience yeah it, it's a wonderful thing together yeah. yeah this his style in this like you said it's not wish at all it, it reminds me more of like the edward yang movies where it's mostly quiet drama and yeah. it's sort of all it builds to an explosion of violence where I guess You're never expecting I guess, it. I guess Brighter Summer Day doesn't really. It's not all quiet, but you know, it, we're sort of building up to the climactic moment at the end. Or, or terrorizers and Yi, I think, are more like yeah, maybe something like pretty Mahjong quiet. Also, say that again. Maybe something like Mahjong. I don't know if you've seen Mahjong. I haven't. No, that, I've only I've, seen two of them. <laughs> the rest I've, are kind of hard to see. Yeah, Mahjong's tough to track down. Yeah. Yeah. Although I do plan on watching Taipei Story later this uh, later this month. So. Uh, Mahjong uh, hasn't been restored yet, as far as I know, yeah. and uh, that makes it hard. So the only copy out there is, is really fuzzy, but I mm-hmm. think it's my favorite Edward Yang movie. Oh, really? But, wow. The ones that have been restored all look amazing. So mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. It's also incredible when you see like the original like prints of like Brighter Summer Day, and they look really messed up. It's just amazing how well they can... Well, restore I, things like the, that. The first time I saw a brighter summer day, it was like a, an image like this big on, on oh my the laptop God. of like a, like a VHS rip that was, uh, <laughs> that circulated for a very, very long time in the, the early two thousands. And to go from watching that to like the, the big fancy Taiwan film archive restoration that criterion eventually put out is it's like night and day. Like it, it was, it was <laughs> a great movie in the little postage stamp sized, fuzzy dark image but it's you know it's much better when you can actually see what's going on that's how i know you're a, a, a samo hung fan i the way i watched uh, enter the fat dragon was uh pillar boxed and letter boxed yeah. and it had burned in subtitles and dubbing that didn't match the subtitles yeah great yeah it's that's the, great. It's the, movie, the best way to watch a movie <laughs> Um, anyways, back to Zhao Tao. So chapter three is about Zhao Tao, who um, is a young woman who's having an affair with a married man. He's um, pretty loaded. She gives him an ultimatum, basically. I, she says she'll give him six months, and it's either uh, her or the wife. Mm-hmm. She, she goes back to her job where she's a uh, receptionist at a spa, and a woman comes up and says, hey, are you Xiao Yu? She says, yes. And she gets beaten up by, um, she gets like slapped by the woman and then beaten up by a couple of her thugs. Yeah. Because um, she found out about the affair. Or he like started to tell her about the affair, but didn't really. But she 
was able to put the pieces together. Um, and then it's just sort of like she wanders around town for a little bit. She uh, has an interaction in like a, a fortune telling snake van, I guess. She goes to hide in a van and it turns out to be a, a woman surrounded by blue snakes. It's so awesome. Green snakes, which makes Zhao the, the white snake in the, the traditional mm. story. Okay. Um, yeah, and she does, like we said, she does watch part of Choi Hark's green snake on TV. Yeah. Um, she, like, she goes home to, like, visit her mom on the way back. The bus she's on gets stopped, and they're basically getting shaken down for tolls by officials. The bus driver doesn't pay, and thugs, different thugs beat him up. And then when she's at work later, I guess that night, or, or seemingly not long after, a couple of those guys come in, and they, they're at a spa, they proposition to her. Um, they say, the one guy says he wants a... Uh, a massage, but from someone who's not trained. Uh, she, sure. yeah, she, she politely enough declines, I guess, is you don't have to be that polite when you're being propositioned in that way, but she's pretty uh, clear about it. She shuts the door on him and he won't leave her be and gets uh, violent with her. And she pulls out a knife and gets him. Pretty and grotesquely. Guy, yeah, and that guy um, is is, is uh, Wong played Hong by um, yeah, who uh, before she she gets him repeatedly slaps her with a fat wad of cash. Saying, My yes. money's not good enough for you. Which has got to be some kind of weird inside joke between the three of them, between John, <laughs> Wong, and Zhao. It's so strange. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious what the friendship and the relationship between the three of them is, but they all seem pretty tight. Uh, I, I, I really like them. That one, uh, the, it seemed it seems so strange. I, I looked it up. That uh, apparently that is literally what happened. Like like this woman was beaten with a wad of cash as the guy in the dang the dang Yujiao uh, incident. Yeah, in the, in the, the actual, this is yeah the story that this was based on. So. Yeah, so that that's based on uh, an incident that took place just a few years before the movie was made, and apparently it, it, it set off because she was charged with um, murder, I think, and it set off a big series of protests, and um, she, she became a, she like sort a, of a, a she was acquitted. big national thing. Yeah, yeah, but I think that was after, like. Yeah, eventually she was. Yeah, ev yeah, eventually she was acquitted. But but leading up to that, it was like a huge sort of national scandal. And mm. um, yeah. I'm trying to think of uh, the 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 girl's name who Amanda, whatever it was that it was that type of thing. Um, the the like girl Amanda in Italy. Type, type thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was. I, I mean, obviously not the same scenario, but the same type of like where it became. Yeah, a very a very big public trial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, she was ultimately uh, acquitted. Yeah, but it, it, it ends with her like covered in blood, um, mm -hmm. sort of saying what she did. Um, I do think this is probably the sexual movie that 
I don't, I don't know. It, I feel like it's the most focused or... Um, I guess that's the right word for it. It's the most like memorable, but maybe that's just because it's Zhao Tao. But uh, I feel like this is like the main story uh, Shaw went in with uh, into the movie with uh, with his eye trained on. Yeah, I, I think I think this and the and the first one are yeah are yeah the, that would be the strongest yeah 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 I agree. Granted, two and four are still pretty great on their own. Yeah, the fourth, so f- the fourth one is like the most depressing to me. Oh, it's yeah, horribly depressing. Yeah. And I know, like, for people that haven't seen the movie that listen to this podcast, like, it's like, how could this get more depressing than like three stories we've talked about so far? But oh boy, so four is about a um, factory worker named Xiao Hui who is talking at work as uh, people tend to do, but they're not allowed to because it distracts from their labor. And he uh, accidentally causes a co-worker to get his hand cut like in a saw, like a table saw or something like that. So he, yeah. the, the job will pay for his medical fees, which is nice of them, I suppose. But the uh, missed fees that the co-worker would make go to uh, our protagonist. Since he caused the accident, supposedly... He will Big have to scare quotes around that. <laughs> yeah. He he talked and didn't, I guess, pull the guy's hand back when he put it right in front of the saw that was uh, not moving. Or, like, not... It was, station, it was in one spot. He yeah. could have just not put his hand there. Um, so the... Uh, those costs go to him. So instead of working for free, he uh, decides to skip town. He gets a job at... Um, it's sort of like a host at a, uh, it's called a hostess club, where it's, mm-hmm. there are men who work there, but the, the main attraction is a bunch of young women, one of which he befriends, who ends up uh, having been from Hunan, where he is from. And he um, becomes smitten with her, tries to make a move on her, uh, She's not interested in him, and then she tells him a little bit more about her own personal life. She's working there. She's a sex worker there. And she's doing it because she has a three-year-old daughter back home who she's sending money back home to. Mm-hmm. A lot of aspects of like the sending money home and like, yeah. where this money comes from and what... Uh, yeah, what even in, in, in platform, we see the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. like it's, it's people working for their family members. Um. He watches her service a client, um, and then after that, so that that's actually that actor is a uh, a writer. I forget his name, but it's a, a writer who's a friend of yeah, Josh Anka's. Yeah, I can't remember um, his name either. But. And apparently, he's he said that um, it was a tough part to cast because not many people would want to play that sort of role because he he thinks anyway that people have a t- tough time distinguishing between like fact and fiction when people are portraying characters like that but this guy is apparently like a very like uh deeply philosophical writer and he's like yeah i get i get what you're doing with this movie like i'm down let's do it go uh so joe who 
leaves, he, he goes back home, and when he's home, he runs into um, the injured hand guy. They are going to beat him up, but I don't know if they he changes his mind or, or they were just trying to scare him. But, Either way, I will say this is the one moment in the whole movie where it's like, there is violence about to be initiated, and they stop. Mm-hmm. Well, and they, that still doesn't help the situation. I was going to say they stop, but it still ultimately leads to violence because pretty much right after that, um, he walks out of his apartment building, which is five, six floors up. And Yeah, uh, you should mention he walks out from the sixth story of the apartment building. Factory dormitory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess apartment is uh, sure. generous for... Uh, his living condition. Yeah. It's not like a fancy high rise with the terrace. He, he, anyways. Yeah. So he, he leaps to his death and, uh, that's the end of his story. We get a brief epilogue, um, of, uh, the Zhao Tao character from chapter three, uh, seemingly years down the line or a little bit down the line. Anyway, she, his, um, moved to Shanxi and she's getting a, uh, job that is, at the company of the wife of the big boss in the first chapter. Mm-hmm. And then she sees the uh, public opera that we talked about. And they ask, do you understand your sin? It's pretty and, direct. Yeah. I don't think she really had a sin. Like if I'm going to, if we're going to moralize, <laughs> I, th- I think there are uh, levels of sin being performed by uh, each of the people. I don't think she really did too much wrong. I guess she had an affair, but, uh, in terms of the guy dying, uh, yeah. fine, fine with it. Look at it. <laughs> uh, What's the sin of the guy in the fourth one? Oh yeah, well, well I guess I he, mean, the, he 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 ran away. Yeah, he's he's he he shirked he shirked his duty of being an indentured servant to a guy who he uh, talked to while working. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The well, the sin. The, the sin is the, the, the sin. If capitalism. there's a sin in every story, I mean, the, yeah, the, the, it, the sin is. It does a good pan out to like, you know, the, the whole crowd. It's it's right. I, it's it, uh, we see it through her perspective of like what what she's taking it as her sin, but it is directed to everyone in this society. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the problem in the fourth one is that he's he the 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 boy is uh, disconnected from his hometown, from his roots, from his family. He just kind of wanders around from factory to factory. And it's it's not his fault. Capitalism has made him that way. Uh, but he doesn't he doesn't stick with anything. He runs out. He runs away from the, the friend who he did distract him and he wasn't supposed to be talking to him while he was working. Uh, so he didn't pay that debt. He ran away from the girl just because she's working as a sex worker and that's gross uh you know i mean he's then he killed himself which if you want to get all catholic is also a sin so yeah that's true that's very true uh whatever the second and fourth stories are actually like very similar in terms of they're both these disconnected men um who kind of bounce around from town to town but the violence that their trajectory takes them on are much different. Obviously the, the guy in the second chapter is going around being a serial killer of sorts. And this guy just 
turns the violence against himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think yeah. uh, the fourth one, uh, the fourth story, you have uh, the uh, the kind of high class brothel that they work at uh, has the girls dress in these costumes and the initial outfit that they have are these like really skimpy kind of red guard military uniforms and they're just kind of parading around to like a military march for all of these rich capitalist men uh who are i have profited off of the kind of corruption that the guy in the first part of the story was was fighting against and it's just so uh such an angry image and sequence that it's it's really really kind of disgusting and how it, it's as polemical as i think jaw ever ever gets mm-hmm. and he casts himself like we alluded to as one of the guys who goes in, goes into the club smoking he's hilarious he's got like a big gold chain and he's like looking he's like <laughs> taking a phone call and he's like what's the artist's name Talking about art. <laughs> <laughs> i'll take it it'll be worth millions it's, and chomping on like a giant cigar. It's, yeah, he's really funny. It's good stuff. Uh, yeah, you should try and tack down uh, a short film, The Hedonists, which is about okay. uh, three workers. Uh, Hans on Ming is one of them, and I think the guy from the first part of Mountains Made Apart is another one. Hmm. And uh, they're like trying to get jobs because the mines have closed, and so they go to audition for a part in a Jajenka movie. And it has him there, like with the cigar, and they're like, "Let's all let's get rich with Boss Jaw." It's, it's, it's really funny. That actually sounds really cool. Yeah, it, it's 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 great. Awesome. He he really ends this movie on a downer note, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think I think the the cut to the shot of the audience is 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 a is a bit much. It's a little on the nose, mm-hmm. like you know, we, we're all. I think this is collectively all of our least favorite of the three, right? I I still really like it, but I, I yeah, I still have it at a four yeah. and a half out of five. But I yeah, think it I, is maybe the most direct, and that's not always a problem. And I think it's still quite effective through most of the movie, but. Yeah, it's my least favorite of his fiction features, but I mean, I I still think it's. Oh wow! Just overall, not just of these three. Yeah. Uh, but I, I I still I still love it. I still think it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still a really good movie. It's I don't of of his things. I don't think he's made a bad movie that I've seen. Has he even he's, made he's just made a simply some, good movie? He's made some bad short films. There's one that's basically just like an Apple commercial. It's it's really oh, kind, of, kind of gross. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's another one that's like really cruel to a dog. No, you can't do that. Yeah, I'm not gonna absolutely. Watch that one. I I like actually in uh, the first chapter of uh, A Touch of Sin that he shoots the guy who's being mean to the horse. It looks like that horse. Oh yeah, is actually great. It looks like that horse is actually being whipped, though. Which yeah, I wasn't really happy with. If the it... if the point of it is that the guy whipping the horse deserves to be killed, and yet you're actually whipping a horse, it brings up a little bit of like that's the problem I had with um, the cockfighter, the Monty Hellman movie. Like, yeah, I, I, I feel like I would like the book Cockfighter, but I couldn't handle 
<laughs> watching all the cockfighting when they're talking about how gross cockfighting is, I, I but doing it for real. I don't think there's kind of the equivalent of like PETA monitoring in uh, yeah. Chinese films. Uh, so you you get that a lot, uh, especially in like classic Hong Kong films. There's some some real animal cruelty, and if you're sensitive yeah. to that, that can be a real problem. Yeah, I I just watched a couple weeks ago um, Bahu Bali, and there at least in the first one, there's like a little CGI thing whenever an animal is in peril. Yeah, it'll say CGI in the bottom corner so that you know that in in the it's actually pretty cool. Yeah, one of the title cards even says like no animals were harmed. Anytime it looks like an animal was harmed, it looks like it, it was done with CG. And when you watch it, like it's you don't really need them to tell you. It's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've seen some of the clips of Bali, and they don't necessarily hide their graphics. Yeah, in that's, movie. It's, it's pretty sad. obvious. That's that's sort of like the aesthetic charm. But I, I appreciate it that looks they fucking put, cool though. I appreciate that they put that in there anyway. I would like uh, this movie to have had something like. Yeah, that, that horse is acting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's just a certification requirement in Indian cinema. I think they do the same with, like, cigarette smoking or alcohol drinking or something like that. Oh, or I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, definitely any kind of, like, simulated animal cruelty. Animals Does your Asian cinema uh, fascination translate over into, like, the South Asian and Indian it's a, markets it's a, as well? It's a whole other world that requires... It is a whole other world, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just as much, if not more, time investment, and I, I don't have that kind of time. So, of like, course, I, 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 I was just curious. Yeah, I mean, I, I love a lot of the most of the Indian movies I've seen. I've just, I've only, I've seen. I'm getting close to like a thousand Chinese language films, and I've seen like fifty Indian movies. So, gotcha. Yeah. Still, like forty more than I've seen. I've not seen that yeah, many. <laughs> Well, early, early we, we're in, trying uh, to get on it. Early in the COVID pandemic, I, I I got a whole bunch of of Indian movies, and I watched most of them. I watched in the first few months of that, and then as uh, time being locked in my house with my kids drag on, I just I just lost all will to watch any kind of movie at all. So that kind of that momentum kind of died. But it's all a lot of great stuff. Nice. Alrighty. Oh, well, uh, that is the three movies here. I was going to say one one other thing about A Touch of Sen is that uh, Zhang Wu is the younger brother of Zhang Wen, who was a director and actor. Um, he was also a sixth generation director, like uh, like Jaw. Uh, he started acting actually in a Zhang Yimou movie, and you might know him from uh, the movie Rogue One, where he was oh. uh, Donnie Yen's buddy. Oh, really? Yeah. Very cool. I haven't seen Rogue One. Oh, I used to see Rogue One. It's good. Johnny Emson. <laughs> uh, and the the guy who who plays the lead in the second story uh, is is also a professional actor. Um, he's mostly does comedies now, but at the time he was known as like a dramatic actor. I think he made some kind of movie about miners trapped in a mine or something like that. Uh, but he's the star of like the Detective Chinatown series. And he was in uh, Stephen Chow's last movie, uh, New King of Comedy. So he's he every time very different, I try very to, different character in those. Every time I try to type a King of Comedy into a list, that movie always comes up, and I'm like, God damn it! New oh, he's comedy. in uh, Romancing in Thin Air, apparently. Oh, that's yeah. a great fucking movie! I just yeah, saw that recently. I think. Sean, have you seen who, that one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's the guy who marries okay, Louis Gu's uh, 
uh, fiance, I think, like steals them away and, oh. and like cook food in the in the mountains somewhere. Sure. If I remember right. That's a good movie. Yeah, it was great. So yeah, mm-hmm. a, a touch of sin. The uh, job been making documentaries ever since Still Life. And it was his first fiction film coming back to that and it's very different from the early films he had you have professional actors it looks much much mm-hmm. slicker and that's and that continued with ashes pierce white which also has uh some professional actors and the same kind of look and, and mountains made apart also uh with like sylvia chang and then the the actor who plays uh Tao's husband is a real actor as well so it's kind of moving into more professional more expansive productions. Do you know if there's a, like a rumor of like him currently making a movie or is he, is he off right now? I know you I made a anything. documentary last year or something. Yeah. Swing out to the seas turns blue. Uh, he, he started a film festival. He started a literary festival in uh, in his hometown. He was working with, uh, with the state film bureau trying to, uh, make things a little more conducive to young filmmakers and to get more production started and trying to increase ties between the West and China. But as far as I know, COVID shut all of that down and he hasn't really been up to much that I've heard lately. Oh, apparently he was a, I don't remember seeing this. He was a co-producer of Memoria. That wouldn't surprise Legend. me. Yeah. According to IMDb, but it doesn't have him listed as uh, directing anything that's in the works. He's got a, his last thing um, is swimming out, and then uh, he had a short called Visit, and then it doesn't have any director credits after that. So Yeah, I've seen Visit. The only thing I remember about it is uh, that on the bookshelf, it's, it's it shows like him in his office, and on the bookshelf behind it, it has like a, a book called like, The Films of Jajenko, which I thought was fun, <laughs> if I remember right. Like the Willem Dafoe picture. Yeah, <laughs> behind Willem Dafoe. <laughs> well, Sean, thank you uh, so much for coming on. Sure. This was a lot of fun. Um, I know you have your new website that you're you're moving old stuff over, and then yeah, I'm moving. Uh, I had uh, a site called the Chinese Cinema on Medium, and then Medium decided to change the way that they display text and it looks awful now and i hate it so i i, I bought a brand new site and so I'm, I'm very slowly moving everything over there and i'm like selling subscriptions so get on board we'll do yeah awesome low oh and then rate. oh go ahead no it's a at, at a low introductory rate until until i get the the site actually finished which i don't know how long it's going to take me to move everything over there's a lot <laughs> But it's the Chinese cinema.com. Yeah. And then I, I was also going to say you wrote the uh, Criterion essay for Throwdown, the Johnny Show movie. I did. Oh, wow. Nice. I didn't know that. Yeah. On sale now. Pick it up. It's a great movie. It's an awesome movie. I think it's my favorite of his, although I still have a, a lot of his to see. Like so. Romancing in Thin Air? Yeah, that's one of them. Yeah. That's the only one I've seen, so I can't really talk. I see, oh, wow. The, I know. I really got to see Throwdown. The Criterion Edition comes with a poster. It's a fold-out poster. It looks. Oh, really I cool. love it when they do that. And the essay is on the back of the poster. So yeah. you hang up the poster and you never read the essay. And you never see it. <laughs> it's great. If you guys have the... Um, 
the Cat People Criterion DVD. It does that and has like the baddest ass looking poster. And if you've seen Cat People, it's not the baddest ass seeming movie. It's a great movie. I love Cat People. But it's not. It's pretty great movie. Well, the thing is, the, the poster is like this massive cat towering over this person. It's like, it looks like a big monster movie. My brother saw that when we were about to watch the movie. And then he watched the movie and was like, where was the cat? I was like, the, the cat's in your imagination. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just <laughs> it's gotta, a great movie, though. You just gotta watch the pool water ripple. Like, that's, oh, that, God, that's, that's the cat. Haunting shit. Mm-hmm. Good movie. Great movie. Alright. Uh, Dylan, you want to wrap it up? Sure. So if you want to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter, Letterboxd, or message us on Gmail at GreatMoviesPod. Um, and always shout out to Scott Brady for our podcast artwork. You can find my Twitter, IceBradyArtist. And that should do it for us today. Oh, okay. Sean, do you want to plug your oh. uh, Do you want to plug your Twitter? or? Oh, oh yeah. Plug your Twitter. Uh, at the end of cinema. What 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 made you come up with that name? Uh, it's from the end of uh, was it Weekend? The Jean Luc Godard oh, yeah. movie, the Fin de Cinema. I haven't seen uh, Weekend. That's another one I need to see this year. When I That's, when I was work, <laughs> when I was working, it's another movie with animal violence. Yeah. Uh, when I was working in a movie theater, my friends and I would like fantasize about the 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 great repertory theaters we'd open, and we come up with a name for what the theater would be, and mine would be the end of the end of cinema. So, sure. when I started a blog, nice. it was the end of cinema, and then it was my Twitter name, and it stuck. In nice. Time, so. You never know. Maybe maybe you'll open up that uh, Cineplex someday. That's not gonna happen. <laughs> it seems like a good investment these days too. All you have to do is like show fucking Spider Man, and it'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I my, my, the, one of the sh- reviews I. Uh, connect Sean with the most is his Jupiter said interview, which he just gets really pissed about the fact that this movie got washed and the MC movies are MC movies are like super popular. So I, it's okay. I wish I connected with it more. But it's still pretty good and the Wachowskis are the best. That is and need to be seen more. Um, I'll take it. Yeah. All right. And, Alrighty. Uh, I guess so that'll be it. So we're going to say Roger yeah. out. Roger out. And when I go to the movies, I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else. And that makes me a better person. That to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people. All right. All righty. Oh, Sean, so I've interacted with you uh, on Twitter a couple times before, okay. and the last time I did, I wanted to follow up with you on this. Did you ever get your Hong Kong rescue shit? Nope. That guy's, I, that I, guy's I, fucking unbelievable. I, I, I emailed him like three weeks ago, a month ago. I haven't heard anything. I, I don't expect to. But he was, uh, he was out of commission for months like he has like an email newsletter that he was sending out like regular updates like mm-hmm. once a week and we didn't hear anything forever and then just finally like a week ago he sent out an update yeah he said that he'd been really yeah sick. i got that yeah he said he'd been really sick with like a non-covid thing or something so oh i didn't realize that yeah no, I, I i didn't read it because I, I finally did get all mine because what i 
had to do was uh, put a PayPal, like I had to contest it. But you, you said you it was like two for six months. Yeah. Yeah, that sucks. Which I, I didn't realize until like nine months had gone by. So. Yeah, I got mine in relatively early because he had sent out something saying that he was shipping everything tomorrow. And like four days later, I never got a shipping update. So I emailed him. I'm like, dude, did it ship? And I never heard back. So then I was like, fine. I'm, I'm just because I'd, I'd read from other people that if you don't send him a PayPal, uh, if you don't contest it on PayPal, you're never going to get it. Yeah, my which is, uh, too, which is too bad because the releases are pretty cool. My my order doesn't even show up on the track your order page anymore. Oh, like I, I enter my email address <sighs> and the order number, and he's like, "Order not found." So that would be the most stressful thing. <laughs> it's it's my own fault. Like when I first heard of this website, I'm like, "The guys, this he's just ripping off other people's DVDs and selling them." <laughs> like this is clearly illegal. Why are you doing this? And then. Like, uh, after months of, like, everybody talking about it, I'm like, okay, fine, and I bought, I bought, like, four, and, yeah, I never got them, so, it's karma, it, it, it happens. Alright, well, yeah, have you thought of your sin? (laughs) (laughs) I got, I got, I got, if bootlegging movies is a sin, I have committed many, many, many sins. Oh, same here, (laughs) It's, it's brutal, I'm going to hell. Well, that was fun. Thanks for yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for for coming on and sure. talking with us. Always happy to talk about Rajanka. And uh, did you hit uh, the stop button on your record? I uh, will do that right now.